What's up, everybody? Pete Forsey, the podcast. Appreciate you pressing play and welcome to the show. We got a lot of good content here today as far as topics. Maybe you don't love my thoughts on it, but I'm going to share it with you because we still have Lamar Jackson, who's not on the Ravens. I'm going to talk about more of the Baltimore side of things and how they really squandered something big here. They, they, they do deserve some criticism here. I know I've been dumping on Lamar, and I'm not backing off any of that, but I do think that Baltimore shares some blame in what looks to be a split between the two. We'll talk about that along with Tyler O'Neill and Ali Marmol, my thoughts on that kerfuffle, and we'll talk about baseball and the pitch clock. Stolen bases are up. Is that sustainable? Some things to know about that and kind of the uh, mirage that is the stolen bases happening in MLB. Mac Jones might be traded. Is that really what Belichick's doing? The Cardinals, their starting pitching needs to get better. And Cam Newton, he has some sway over some NFL franchises right now that I think could lend itself pretty well to their future, and I'm going to tell you all about it. So it's episode 114 of the podcast. Okay, let's begin here with Tyler O'Neill and Ali Marmol. It is, this one's actually legitimately surprising to me. You can typically predict Twitter and the route that they're going to go, but when you talk about the radicals out there on the different networks and those covering the team, those being paid to talk about the game, I am shocked that when they talk about other players and managers, typically the older ones, being snowflakes about bat flips and expressions of emotion that they then turn to this side of things where Tyler O'Neill, who admittedly, even from his supporters here, was not giving full effort rounding third base. I don't know if I'm going to call it loafing. For me, it was more just so he was not dialed in and was not expecting to be sent home. Nonetheless, he should be putting on the Jets until his third base coach tells him otherwise. But his supporters on this are so strange that they say that it needs to be solely handled in-house, which it was, but then Ali Marmol chose to take it public. And it's confounding to me that the people that cover this game don't see between the lines of what Ali Marmol was trying to do. I think here's what happened. Marmol saw that he wasn't giving full effort, didn't like that, and decided, I'm going to set the tone here early on in the season. It's April, what, 4th? This happened on a Monday or Tuesday? It was two days ago, two games ago. He decided that in this 6-1, uh, to one, forget the score, I think it was a three-run deficit, would not have tied the game, but would have extended the inning and kept the Cardinals threatening. He decided that, I'm going to set the tone of what this ball club is going to be about. I don't have Yadier Molina, Albert Poulos, they're not in that dugout. They're not there to pull aside a Tyler O'Neill, who has now been in the league since 2018. He's a older guy, not going to be say the, the the most tenure. That's Nolan and, and and Goldschmidt. But there's a lot of young, impressionable players on this team: Gormans, Donovans, Modders, uh, Carlsons, Walkers. This is going to send a message to the rest of the season that we're not tolerating that shit. We are going to aggressively round third base and we're going to think score before slamming on the brakes from this point forward. Now, would it have been a different situation if it were August 6th and the Cardinals were 
seven games up on the Brewers. Tyler O'Neill had 23 home runs. Yeah. Then Marmol, it's kind of a different story. But new season, two legends who have been with the club for over 15 years each, they say that this is something that they would handle. This This is something that those two would take care of. Marmol, I like what he's doing. He's not out there bitching and complaining. He's not throwing his guy under the bus. It's it's mind-boggling. All he's saying is this is the standard. It wasn't met. He's not taking unprompted shots at Tyler O'Neill. He's not drudging up anything that's outside of what happened on Tuesday evening or whatever night it was when he didn't round third. He's specifically honed in on this is what happened. This is why he's benched. I love it. I think it's going to do wonders for the Cardinals. And the worst thing that can happen is Tyler O'Neill gets pissed off. And then he's motivated to have a great season and sign elsewhere outside of the Cardinals. Bummer. Man, that would be awful for the Cardinals if he had a great season and helped him win the pennant in the National League. It's really, really strange, the take that the media is taking on this one. Now, I've been kind of crapping on Lamar Jackson a bit, and I don't take anything back on that end. But I think it's now time to talk about the Baltimore Ravens and kind of what they've squandered away here. Because in the end, it looks like they could potentially lose Lamar Jackson and have Tyler Huntley at quarterback, or they're going to call up RG3 from ESPN and sign him back, or or they may have to draft someone. I, I don't know what they're going to do. That That is something to be considered here, that they botched this idea with Lamar. They, from the jump, said, Lamar, we love you. We definitely respect what you're trying to do. It's uh, uh, it's admirable, but you need to get an agent. If you want to be a Raven, you need to get an agent. We want you to be a Baltimore quarterback for the next decade plus. Please, please, please do this. We want to strike a deal that's good for you. We're not looking to take advantage of you, but you have to get representation. They should have said that. Because John Harbaugh looks like a moron at the end of the season conference saying 200% that Lamar Jackson is going to be the quarterback. No, it it looks like he's going to be out of town. It looks like you're going to trade him for less than two first-round picks because you just want to be done with it. I don't know why a smart organization like this would not try and get ahead of it. They just think that they can replace anybody. I mean... Look, Lamar is not my flavor, a quarterback, but he's still really doggone good. He still has won a lot of games for them. You would think you would want to sign up for that, especially considering that you built your organization around him. You're the one that's in best position to keep going, and you got a division that's you know kind of a gauntlet. You don't want to have the question mark in the division at the quarterback position where the rest of the team seem to have their solution. It's, it's not... It's time to start talking about how Baltimore, you know, you're being smart by not paying him all that money, but it's kind of like the Chicago Cubs. Everybody talks about that run in the World Series and how it should have been a dynasty. The reason it's not is because the front office, Theo Epstein, he did not get ahead of the contracts. He didn't go to the negotiating table soon enough. That's what the Ravens did. They let this play out and it's coming back to bite him. So, do I think they're going to be better off not paying a $240 million guaranteed contract or whatever the hell it may be? Yes, but they do deserve some blame here for just not 
forcing the hand or, or, or not forcing the issue rather with Lamar and he's going to be quarterbacking another team and it's going to be interesting to see where they're at at the QB position. You know there's a lot of new things in baseball this year and it got me thinking back on one thing from last year which was MLB Apple TV. I have not seen any advertisements for that this year. So my guess is, is that that's not happening on Friday nights. I, I have to do a quick Google search here to to verify that. But my guess is, is that was, you know, ultimately concluded for what it was, an absolute disaster. I loved that they really hyped up the game and they had uh, some momentum on those broadcasts. It was a national feel. They tried to get a playoff feel. I'm, I'm all for that with baseball and creating some momentum. But the broadcasters that they had on there, they were just trying to be too cool. They were trying to be too hip. And it's like you do have to stay within some of the confines of broadcasting mechanics. I'm not saying you can't let your hair down, so to speak. I like the girl with the pink hair that they had on there. She She's on MLB Network and she's knowledgeable about the game. But the way they were just trying to be a real hipster with it, you got to be a little bit more buttoned up. Let's not try and go all the way to the other end of the spectrum here. So I wonder if they're continuing that. I just, I have not seen it advertised this year as they did in 2022. But the things that really are present and we can see stolen bases and the pitch clock. A couple things on the first stolen bases are up dramatically in the game, but I saw a stat from an MLB.com writer. I think it was uh, Andrew Simon. While the stolen bases are up, it's nothing that you're really seeing during the game because it's all within the top base stealing teams in the league. It's only about like the top 10. So while MLB is trying to create more action, the truth is it's really only the best of the best who are actually good at stealing bases doing it, and they're accounting for the majority of the stolen bases. So you may be watching your home team and not seeing the stolen base totals that the the people are putting out to us, and, and that is the case. You're not seeing it. Some teams are not actually moving off station from station. There is not movement on the base path. So that's a bit disheartening because stolen bases can be at a real exciting part of the game, base running, Albert Poulos always said it was his most favorite part of the game, and uh, I, I think it's underrated as well. I love seeing plays where a guy goes first to third, second to home, um, or even first to home. It's just an incredibly exhilarating part of the game, and you can really see the athleticism of the players during during those uh, pieces of the ball game. So I hope that corrects itself. And the unfortunate reality is that it's probably not because Again, small sample size, but the three true outcomes are still running baseball. Walks, strikeouts, home runs. The game has sped up with the pitch clock, but it isn't creating more hits, at least not so far. The defensive shift, there are some ways around that. I think the shift is going to be a good thing ultimately, but guys are still selling out for the home run. I think hitters, because they are the ones being penalized, they are the offenders here with the pitch clock, I think they're not ready for this momentum. They're, they're not ready for this pace of the game. They take these giant hacks, they see a foul ball, they're locating it, and then they realize they have to get right back in the box because Max Scherzer is staying on the rubber and he's already staring in for the sign with his glove over his nose. It's 
It's just something they're not used to. So it makes me think that I wonder if they tinker with this rule a little bit just to kind of move the needle back towards the players because, or excuse me, the position players because the pitchers right now are able to manipulate the clock to their benefit and it is speeding up the game. So maybe they just say they don't care. We're the front office and we're shaving off 25 minutes, making the product much better for television. And that's likely the outcome that they will go with. But I do see somewhat of a disadvantage for the hitters. And so far, they're kind of showing us that they're having issues picking up uh, or keeping up with the pace. I saw Florio and his article on Pro Football Talk, who got mixed reviews on the guy. I think he's good. I think he also is a little bit of a, I don't know, he's a former lawyer, so he kind of throws his uh, his attorney hat on sometimes and kind of speaks above you a little bit. And it obviously is condescending, but I, I think he is a smart guy and he's got some connections in the league. He put out there that Mac Jones has been shopped by the Patriots, which I think is just a very uh, over it's overly descriptive of what happened. Did Bill Belichick have an offhanded conversation about Mac Jones and, and his trade value with another team? Yeah, I, I could see it. Someone asked that, hey, is Mac Jones available? Bill said, well, what's your price? Could have been the extent of the conversation right there. I don't think Bill Belichick is actively out there trying to get Mac Jones off the team, especially when you consider his history when trading players. He moves quickly and swiftly. I mean, he, he gets it done. Once he decides he's done with you, you're out of the building. He doesn't want you around. So, well, I know there was some turbulence. There was that Boston Herald article with Mac Jones butting heads with seems like a couple people, and he's obviously screaming at other players during the game. Belichick is used to buttoned up Tom Brady, and he's used to Josh McDaniels as his coordinator. It was just a mess of a 2022. It's you know unBelichick like, so you wouldn't expect it. But I do not see him hiring Bill O'Brien, who Mac Jones taught the offense at Alabama in their brief one month uh, uh, carryover between the two before Mac Jones went off to the NFL and. Bill O'Brien, of course, was the OC for Saban. They actually intersected there for a bit, and he taught him the Alabama offense. So they have a relationship. I don't think Bill is just going to shove him out the door. Doesn't really seem to be his style, especially he wouldn't be doing it now after free agency has hit, and now the candidates of quarterback needy teams has shrunk. He would have did it from the beginning. So do I think there was a casual conversation? Sure. Yeah, because most players outside of, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, hell, even Aaron Rodgers is available at a cost. Most guys are available. So when you go to the owner's meeting, when you go to the general general manager's meeting, you have conversations about, hey, what's it going to take to get this guy? And then the owning team will say, well, you know, I'm kind of thinking this or I'm kind of thinking that. That's what would make me want to give him up doesn't mean that you're shopping them, but you're talking business because that's what you do. So Florio's report will land a certain way with people that Mac Jones might be on his way out, but I don't see it as anything other than, yeah, we're, we're going to talk business because that's what we do our due diligence with. We make sure that we're not leaving any stone unturned unless your name's Brady, Mahomes, Burrow, or Montana.
What's funny is that it's not an overreaction to the... I'm looking at the schedule here. The first five games, or excuse me, six games of the young Cardinal season, you can already tell that the pitching is not in a good spot. You have guys who are obviously skilled, and they obviously have been coached up. They should be major league pitchers, but man, they are just very inconsistent. Steven Matz, love the guy. He's been inconsistent his entire career. I think it's a good contract that the Cardinals gave him. Did he have bad luck in Cincinnati where he screwed up his knee? Yeah, that that was awful. I think he will be good and he will be a solid player, but they lack a horse. It's the most underrated part of baseball in that when you have a true number one, a Garrett Cole, a Alec Manoa, a Luis Castillo, a Verlander Scherzer, They are starters and stoppers. They stop losing streaks. They start winning streaks because they are so overmatching to every guy that steps in the batter's box. They get paid 36 plus million because they take decisions out of the manager's hands. The manager doesn't have to worry about, oh, we got to get this guy loose or is this guy fresh or how is this guy's fastball against this uh, long swinged batter? No, we have an ace on the mound. He's going to shove it for seven innings, eight innings. If they, you know, are old school thinking, not many of them, even though those guys that I mentioned have the capability, he's going to shove it for eight innings and he's going to take these decisions out of our hands. He's going to rest the pen. He's going to rest our bench. We don't have to think as much. And we're going to go home with the W. He's going to stop this streak. He's going to start the new one. And the Cardinals had the opportunity to, to trade for one. They had a plethora of of, uh, prospects to go out and trade for one. Justin Verlander was out there. Two-year deal is all he was looking for. Why did they just sit on the the sidelines? It it goes back to them just being champion for replacing Yadier Molina. I mean, holy hell. They act like the Wilson-Contreras negotiation was a a six-month process of vetting and getting to know the catcher and what makes him tick, what he brings to the table. The deal was, it should have been done in five minutes. You need a catcher. You need a bat. This is the worst position on your team right now. Pay market value. You have the cash. Done. Move on. Instead, you missed out on Jose Quintana, who was your best pitcher last year. I know he's injured right now. But that's a guy that you should have had on your roster let alone looking for an ace, you should have gotten him back on your team. So it's real disappointing because they were so excited to hold that press conference for Contreras that they missed out on other free agents that uh, back in the winter. They should have been wheeling and dealing some more. And chief among them, it should have been a starting pitcher, should have been an ace. But here we are. It's six games through the season, and... We're getting a little taste of how this is going to be inconsistent. We got some real solid guys, but we don't have the one that can stop and start the new streak. And we'll see how long it takes John Mazalock in the front office to make a move here in 2023. Last thing that I wanted to talk about here was uh, maybe our favorite player of the show, Cam Newton. He went out on his podcast where he smokes his cigars. He's dressed to the nine, looks sharp as hell. Very well-spoken guy, um, very still much should be in the NFL as a backup quarterback. I know he keeps saying that 
32 quarterbacks are not better than him. Well, the league is kind of telling you that for the last couple of years, Cam. So I, I don't know how much truth there is in that. And you just gave a list of backups that you would play behind or, you know, prepare behind in the NFL. And it got me thinking that Cam Newton has a lot of potential sway over organizations. And the reason being is that when they sign someone like Cam Newton, his aura, his style of game, that's going to have a instrumental effect on just the locker room and how you build your franchise. That's why I know it was put out on the McAfee show earlier today that if the Ravens want to get Lamar back, bringing in someone like Cam Newton could be a good thing for Lamar and learning how to play the style of play that Cam played for so long and how he can make his career even longer. Because really, Cam should still be you know starting for the Panthers. Given how they used him, they could have used him differently in a better way to sustain his career a little bit longer. But you know, Ron Rivera, the Panthers, they said, we're not doing that. We're going to run this guy. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt. The wear and tear will take its toll. And if it's shorter rather than longer, that's okay with us. For the sake of Cam Newton, that wasn't really a good thing, but he played really good football. And I think with his intangibles, his players, his teammates seem to love him. I think Lamar is really, he could bow well from learning from Cam Newton. If he takes a one-year deal, signs this uh, exclusive tag with Baltimore, whether it's continuing as a Raven or continuing elsewhere, if the Ravens sign Cam, I think it could, it could be a really good thing for someone like Lamar Jackson. Additionally, you know, if you're the Panthers and you're considering taking Anthony Richardson, a guy with a similar build, similar deficiencies coming out as a quarterback in college, do you sign Cam Newton back one one more time, a third time, and teach him how to prepare what it means to be a Panther, keep pounding, and again, just how you go about your business being the style of quarterback that you are. I think there should be some teams, given that Lamar Jackson's out there, given that you have Anthony Richardson coming out, given that you you have more of these quarterbacks that play their style of game, it's almost like a Robert Griffin III situation when the Ravens decided to draft Lamar Jackson. You had Flacco who's going to start, but then they signed Robert Griffin III to kind of teach Lamar, hey, this is how you go about it in the NFL. I think it would be a prudent move for a lot of teams. He's obviously well-liked, and I think if he had to play, he can win you a couple games moving forward. So NFL teams, they should absolutely be looking at Cam as a backup for their squad. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone about what we're doing here on the show. Appreciate you guys pressing play. Please go ahead and follow subscribe, review, five stars. If not, tell me why. Tell me what you like, don't like about the show. Even if it's just my opinions, that's okay. You can tell me you don't like those as well. If you agree, that's awesome too. The podcast at gmail.com is where we can be reached along with Twitter at Pete4C. You can find me there. So tell your friends about the show and we'll see you guys next week.